and welcome to Elevating Founders, a podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges. Brought to you by London Tech Week and Founders Forum. This week, we're kicking it off with the founder of Founders Forum himself, Brent Hoberman. Together with Martha Lane Fox, he founded LastMinute.com in 1998, an online travel and gift business. As CEO, Hoberman successfully floated and later sold LastMinute.com to Sabre for $1.1 billion in 2005. Brent is also co-founder and chairman of Founders Factory, the corporate-backed startup studio and accelerator. First Minute Capital, the seed fund backed by over 80 unicorn founders and a number of businesses within the Founders Forum group that support entrepreneurs at every stage of their journey. Other technology businesses Brent has co-founded have raised over $800 million and include Karakuri and Made.com. He's one of the most influential entrepreneurs and investors in tech, so as guests go, he's a pretty good one. In this episode, Brent chats to Tim Draper, founding partner of Draper Associates, whose prominent investments include SpaceX, Hotmail, Skype and Tesla. Their conversation spans insights on Tim's passion for VC, if entrepreneurship is teachable and the biggest opportunities for investment today beyond the usual markets. So, um, without further ado, Tim, uh, you clearly like venture capital. It's clearly a passion for you. And three of your four children, I understand, are in venture capital. Um, Do you advise this as a career choice? That's a great question. I... um, I, I think my kids, uh, when they came, when I came home from work, I was so excited. In fact, I have um, a two-year-old did the uh, redecorating of my background here. So, um, but, but um, my uh, my kids, um, I think they came home and saw how excited I got about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And so, one became an entrepreneur, and the other three became venture capitalists. Do I recommend it now? Um, I think it's a great career. I think it's um, it's definitely go- about to go through yet another transformation. It went from being sort of a clubby thing to being a little bit more institutional to to becoming. Um, uh, I think actually venture capital is going to go through a. a f- flip the way uh, the way a flip classroom works and I think we are going to lead the charge there uh, the beauty of what we've done we we've done all these uh, Draper University and Draper startup houses around the world and we've created meet the Drapers which is this show uh, like a shark tank show but the viewer can invest and now there are nine million viewers watching uh, and every, every, most of the entrepreneurs that go on that show get fully funded. Uh, so it's gotten to be a really big deal. Um, and all of that becomes sort of a base for, for all the deals that we see. So th- tens of thousands of deals that we see each year. Um, and so we think that there, there is a model that sort of fl- flips where the investor becomes closer to the entrepreneur 
and it might be through this kind of a video uh, environment, and it might be through uh, through being closer through these uh, these um, way stations, the Draper startup houses and Draper universities of the world. Uh, they're going to, I think, uh, allow entrepreneurs a path like a some rails that they can jump on and um, and ride forward uh, to build their businesses. So uh, yeah, I think it's going through some real transformation. So fortunately, all of my children seem to be very creative. Um, we didn't focus as much on grades as we did on you know creativity, and so I think that has paid off. And I think they're going to be able to adapt to whatever the environment is. I do know that there are thousands and thousands of new venture capitalists out there. And so the model is not quite the same uh, as it was when I got started, but, uh, and it's more competitive, uh, but I still think it's a great career. And, uh, and we're, we're going into a time now where the biggest uh, industries in the world are about to be transformed. And so uh, you wouldn't want to miss that as a venture capitalist. Yeah. And then, so a lot of what you're doing is is encouraging people, apart from investing, obviously, but is encouraging young people to think about entrepreneurship as a career choice. Um, do you think that sort of this idea that everybody should be an entrepreneur, or do you try and discourage some people as well from being an entrepreneur? No, I think a, a venture, ca I mean, an entrepreneur um, it has it in their heart. It's something they can't avoid doing. <laughs> it, I don't think it's something that uh, that I'm encouraging. But at Draper University, it was really started around these venture capitalists who told me that um, entrepreneurship can't be taught. And I thought, huh, whenever anybody sell, tells me something can't be done, I think, huh, how would I do that? How would I turn people ordinary, healthy people into entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think we created a model that does it. And, uh, and we, we were able to do it in five weeks, but it's completely immersive. And now we're trying to simplify that even tighter because we weren't allowed to do our, our spring session because of COVID and we weren't allowed to do our summer session because of COVID. Well, actually, the summer session, it wasn't COVID. It was all the, the travel restrictions. We had people coming from all over the world, and they, got, um, they, they were restricted. And so we did a, an online version that seems to be having a similar effect. And I think um, our reputation of creating heroes uh, is al allowing us to get people to do very odd things on, in their online um, in the online class, they know that this process worked for a lot of people, so they're willing to really throw themselves into it. And I and our online classroom uh, has performed above expectations so far. You know, knock on wood. Great. Uh, so uh, that, yeah, yeah, sign up. You can sign up for uh, the Draper University. Go to draperuniversity.com, I guess, and sign up for the online class and become a hero in two weeks. Um, and, uh, but make sure you, when you sign up, you throw yourself into it. Uh, that program's only $500. The other program is 12,000, but you come to the Silicon Valley, 
okay. and you're immersed in it. Uh, so it has been a um, yeah, we've been we've been we've had to adjust, and I think our team did a beautiful job of adjusting uh, to the new environment. Great. And now imagine today, so slightly separately, if you were the 25-year-old version of yourself um, and you were about to start something today, post-COVID, what would you be doing? Oh, I know exactly what I'd be doing, but I'm going to give you uh, a few choices so that you, um, so that it gets, okay. it, it, it's a little bit more blended because I know you have a lot of viewers here. Um, uh, I think... Uh, Bitcoin, the blockchain, and smart contracts, when combined with artificial intelligence, machine learning, and big data, have and surveillance, have the ability to transform some of the biggest industries in the world. Uh, those industries include, whereas you know the internet changed uh, media, communications, information, entertainment, gaming a wide variety of different industries, commerce. Um, the biggest industries in the world are about to go through major transformation because of these new technologies that are global and open and transparent, uh, frictionless. Uh, so so um, if I were getting started right now, what I would be thinking about is how do I take those technologies um, and go after banking or insurance or real estate or healthcare or government. And, um, and I'll give you a few examples. You could today with a good actuary and some surveillance and, um, and smart contracts, uh, you can create an insurance company just flat out. Uh, right now, insurance, you pay your premiums, you pay, you pay, you pay, you pay, and then you have a claim. And then they have all these people that fight you on your claim. They have the, the investigator and the lawyer and the whoever, and they, they fight the claim. And then eventually you get paid something, but it's not that much. Mm -hmm. Well, um, you can have a very uh, flat and simple insurance company that you could create uh, because through surveillance, uh, you're going to be you're going to know that that house burned down or that car flipped over in the hurricane or uh, or whatever, because you have general surveillance uh, and and you can uh, have people pay on a smart contract and and make sure that their uh, premiums are all up to date. Uh, this, you know, and do it all in Bitcoin. And that's kind of a, a thing of value. Um, actually in the media business, uh, you know, if you do a star Wars movie, uh, there are 15,000 people that have to have to each get a check and those checks, uh, every quarter or something. And, and those checks cost, uh, Lucasfilm about, uh, $7 each to send. Uh, it would be interesting to have a business that was all in Bitcoin where, uh, whenever anybody bought a movie ticket, immediately the entire uh, waterfall of everybody who was involved in that movie would get a, a micropayment in their wallet, and you uh, and it would save you seven dollars for each envelope that was sent out. Um, in in uh, well, 
uh, Bitcoin's going to change banking completely because uh, Bitcoin, it's a lot easier for me. If you said, hey, send me some money right now, I could easily send it uh, just right here through my Coinbase account um, or through a ledger. I can do it very quickly. But if uh, but I in instead, uh, if I had to send you dollars, I'd have to call my bank, have it wired. That would be expensive. Have to go cross border. It might have to go through Western Union if you were going to turn it into pounds. Um, so I think you've got um, you've got a huge opportunity to transform banking. And if you transform banking with Bitcoin, um, Bitcoin keeps a perfect record. Uh, so uh, and they do it on the blockchain. And so you wouldn't have to have all the accountants, the um, the auditors, the bookkeepers, the transfer agents. You 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 don't need as much of their help to keep perfect records because the blockchain keeps perfect records. It, it keeps a perfect record of all debits and credits that come out uh, through, through Bitcoin or, or other cryptocurrencies too. Um, now, uh, I told you insurance is gonna be transformed, but also that governments are gonna be transformed. So, um, in, in, and it's two ways. One is that most of governance is insurance. It's healthcare insurance, it's uh, workman's compensation insurance, it's uh, unemployment insurance, which is a hot one now. Um, it's, uh, it's insurance, it's welfare, uh, it's your pension. All of those are insurance programs and could all be done uh, very efficiently with smart contracts. Uh, and the other part of governance that is really interesting is that governments now are in competition for you. They need to provide good services for you so that you can, um, that you feel like you're getting good service for the, um, for the uh, thing that they're, whatever they're providing, the services that they're providing. If, if you're, yeah, for the taxes you're paying, sorry. So yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If, if you're paying uh, very high taxes, you wanna make sure you're getting good services. And I think that that is going to be, um, create a competitive governance situation. And Estonia has already taken a jump at this and so has uh, uh, Malaysia and Kazakhstan, they are. They all have virtual residency programs, so you can become a virtual resident in each of those countries without having to set foot there, and then you can do business there. So governance is going to be competitive. So selling interesting products into government or creating a government that's 11 miles offshore, you know, like a Guernsey kind of thing, uh, that that actually might end up being a really interesting thing. There might be. 3,000 governments that are created over the next 10 years. Um, and then in healthcare, I'll give you one more, um, and that's healthcare. Yeah. Uh, what COVID's taught us and what we had been working on for a long time and early adopters had used is that data is going to be really critical for healthcare. So if you've got um, a disease or you got some ailments, um, the data can actually provide a better job, do a better job of diagnosing that disease than any doctor could because the, the data can be so extensive. 
not only your medical, all your medical records from all over can be incorporated, but also your genetic history and your blood test results and your Fitbit results and your, um, your what you had for breakfast in the airplane seat you sat on and where you spent the summer, all those pieces of information can then be combined and give, uh, give you a better diagnosis than you ever had before. And, uh, and all that data can be um, uh, turned into a machine learning system, a, uh, an expert system, and you get better doctoring. And then on the other side, the thing that everybody's noticed now with COVID is um, that the dry labs have been much more effective than the wet labs in providing us the possibility of a cure. Um, and that is the, um, the dry labs are like up on the computer, here's the disease, yeah. let's run a whole bunch of drugs against that disease and see if one clicks. And then if one clicks, then we can try it out uh, in the wet lab and in animals and whatever else, and we can move it right through to humans. And it's much more effective and longer term, those dry labs are going to do a better job of determining efficacy and safety than the FDA, uh, who most of the world relies on. Uh, and so you, you're going to see, I mean, that's yet another transformation of government. Um, I, I think government's role is going to decrease. I think all of this nationalism and stuck in place and wear a mask and all that stuff that that's very oppressive. I think it's part of it's the disease and part of it is a reaction where some government officials are afraid of the future. The future is global. It's open. It's not tribal. It's not this nationalistic thing. We are moving toward a global world, and, uh, and the world economy benefits from a global world. The more protectionism, the more walls go up, the worse we are all off. And I'll, I'll give you a fun kind of yeah. example. Um, if you are a, if, if there are only two of us on here, and you own a house, and I own a farm, uh, I die of exposure, and you die of starvation if we don't do a trade uh and then uh with and, and that you multiply that by eight billion and we have a world economy that can provide all sorts of interesting services to each other uh and and we get we all become way better off because of all the liquidity that is created throughout the world so anytime anybody puts up a trade barrier they are hurting their own country and they need to understand that you're in effect cutting off the farm or the house or whatever from your country and that's not healthy. Um, and people say, oh, well, it isn't fair. Well, it turns out it is fair because the business person on this side thought that it was fair with the business person on that side and they worked together and they uh, shook hands and they they both were better off because of the deal. Um, so I think we've got a, a and, and we were starting to see it in, tw in 20, well, up until the government started to fear this decentralization and this globalization, we really had a booming economy, world economy, and the 
quality of life for the entire, all the people of the world improved a lot from say 2005 to 2015. It was a huge win all the way through uh, because those borders were falling, because people were traveling, we were all getting to know each other. And now um, I think this lockdown has given some governments the feeling that, hey, we can go back to tribalism and I can control everybody and I can tell them all what to do. Um, and I think that uh, you're, you're seeing people rebelling and they're not sure why they're rebelling. Um, I think it's about that. I think it's yeah. about like, hey, I was stuck in place for three months. I don't feel good about that. Um, boy, I'll tell you, if I were 22 years old, we've had riots here in the U.S. Um, if I were 22 years old, it wouldn't have mattered what the trigger was. I'd be out there throwing Molotov cocktails, too. You're not allowed to go to school. There's 41 million people unemployed. Uh, it's not a pretty sight. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so no, we've I, got I, a really interesting you. time going forward. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hear you. Just quickly, with, with your global outlook, just trying to understand how you view European tech. So I know you've obviously done a few investments here. Um, you have, a, I think it's more like a, an affiliate fund, DFJ Esprit here. You have launched a revenue-based fund. I think that was under your auspices directly. I think there's a secondary fund here in the UK as well. So how are you viewing the whole European tech ecosystem? And what else? What does it need to do for you to do more deals here? Yeah, we, uh, we have something called the Draper Venture Network, and it includes Draper Esprit and a number of other uh, venture funds uh, throughout Europe, more in uh, Eastern Europe and Southern Europe. Um, and we have uh, great relationships there, and that has been terrific. And I historically, and I historically had been kind of reticent to invest in Europe. Um, historically, it was heavily regulated. Uh, it was difficult to be an entrepreneur. You couldn't hire and fire easily. There were a lot of, a lot of real difficulties. Um, and I think something's happened in Europe. There is, there is life there. There is excitement. And it's all over Europe. It's in the UK. It's in Northern Europe. It's all the way up and down the East-West corridor. Um, and I think here's what's happened. Europe used to run the world. Europe had complete, you know, they, they told the world how to operate, and the UK particularly. And then uh, Europe kind of went through the wine and cheese generation. And, and uh, after the wine and cheese generation, this new generation is saying, wait, what? We don't run the world? And they are, they are firing back on all cylinders. And every time I go to now, before when I went to European entrepreneurial conferences, it was like nobody knew why they were there. And, uh, and now when I go to a, a tech conference in Europe, I feel like, wow, this is the excitement I felt in China 10 years ago before they got a bad uh, dictator. Uh, and, uh, and so, yes, I'm incredibly excited about what's going on in Europe. Great. So I think we've got time for one last question, which is um, from the floor, as it were. Um, what would you say to someone who would love to become an entrepreneur, believes they have 90% of the attributes, but doesn't have the idea? 
Oh, I think there are a lot of interesting ways to come up with the idea. And a lot of it has to do with going out there, working, living, experiencing. And then when you have that, well, actually, Draper, Draper University is probably a perfect target for you. Um, but you go out and you experience life and then you say, whoa, something's wrong. Or, wow, I could do this so much better. And then... Um, and then there will be a part, a, a point in your life where you say, I have, I have to show this to the world. I have to do it. And so I think what it is for you, this one questionnaire, um, and for probably another thousand people out there, it's to, uh, to uh, build an understanding of the industry that you might want to pursue, uh, whether that's through your job or uh, or it's through your life, and then just sort of say, okay, well, now what could we create that could improve this situation? How could we make the customer more delighted than they are? And how can I kind of wedge into that industry? And then the real skill is, how do I do that? And then how do I make money doing it? Um, because if, by the way, go make money, because uh, money, money, money is so critical for uh, building out uh, your vision. If you've got a vision, you say, hey, I got to feed the world. Well, that's great. But then you got to figure out how you're going to make money doing it, because whatever it is you're providing, you've got to spread it all the way around the world. And that costs money. Um, and so so whatever it is, if, and, and a nonprofit or a for profit, those are just vehicles to get your mission done. I don't think it matters which uh, vehicle you use, just an NGO, whatever. Um, just uh, go after it and make something happen. And uh, and I think you're gonna, the for-profit world, it makes it usually a lot easier to spread around the world. Uh, so, you know, find a problem, uh, maybe go through a hackathon, uh, try to come up with some sort of a solution, then try to think about a product that you can use, figure out how you might make money, build that product, test it on customers, and then you're, you're most of the way there. It's like you just jumped into the ocean and now you got to swim across the ocean. It's the hardest part is that first step. Great, thank you so much. And I heard somebody else add to that maybe that said, surround yourself with optimistic people, which I thought was also a good, you know, that's interesting. In, in the book, I, I wrote a book because I traveled so much. I just wrote it on the airplane on my iPhone. Um, and the book said, um, be an optimist. And the, uh, and the reason for that is, I mean, there is a reason for pessimists. The pessimists um, provide you with what's wrong with your idea. Um, and you kind of need a few of those around just for, uh, you know, to keep, keep you check. But, but uh, pessimists re never have, I don't think in history, pessimists have ever accomplished anything. Okay. Uh, optimists have, always, have often been embarrassed, often been wrong, often failed, but it's the optimists that have taken, uh, taken us and driven progress and created the life that we have. And, uh, and it's the optimists that will take us out of this big uh, 
hole that we've dug ourselves into uh, and lead us out and employ the rest of the world and, uh, and build value and build wealth around the world. It's the optimist. So be an optimist if you, it, unless you're absolutely stuck in being a pessimist and that's your life goal, be an optimist. You can, you can make so much more happen by leading people to this new world uh, whether that world ends up succeeding or failing, uh, it's important for you to uh, just try and try and try. We say at Draper University, I will fail and fail again until I succeed with hand on heart. So, Tim, it's if I say um, thank you so much, I think we have covered a lot of the world and a lot of the topics that will be of interest to the entrepreneurs and investors um, that have been listening to this. So really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Brent. Thanks for having me on the show, all of you, London you. Work Tech Week. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. If you have any questions or comments, head over to our social channels linked in the show notes to join the conversation or email us at elevatingfounders@informa.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you next time.